Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to live grief support, podcast stickers, giveaways, and so much more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. On today's show, I'm talking to Melissa Lyons, who accidentally wrote a children's book on grief while journaling one day. She's reading her book, I Will Always Love You, for us, and talking about how thinking about our loved one's wishes for our lives can transform our grief. Also on the show today, I'm talking about those hard moments when grief makes you feel like a failure. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much for joining me today. Just a quick heads up that five days from today on January 28th, I am hosting my hour-long grief support hangout over on Google Hangouts. This is a lovely opportunity to connect live with other listeners of the show and to get grief advice and tools and book recommendations and any other questions you'd like answered from me. We are a bunch of people that just get it all together on a hangout on the internet for a whole hour, and that kind of space is just really nice when you're grieving. All you have to do to join us is pledge $1 or more over on patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Once you pledge, you'll unlock the private post with the link to join us live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central on January 28th. I hope to see you there. You can find a link to my Patreon page in the show notes always. All right, grief growers. So this week, I want to riff on something that I posted on Facebook that had a lot of you talking about your grief. Caleb Wilde, who wrote the book Confessions of a Funeral Director and was actually a guest here on Coming Back on episode 35, posted this series of images on his Facebook page that I shared on both my public page and in my private Facebook group for listeners of this show, The Grief Growers Garden, where so many of you are members. Each of the images was text on a blue background and had something to do with the relationship between grief and feeling like a failure. So I'll read you some examples here on the show today. If it takes you two years to even talk about it, you are not a failure. If you're mad at God, you are not a failure. If your loved one lost their battle with addiction, even if you've done everything in your power to save them, you are not a failure. There were tons of these messages in this post, grief growers, and so many of you responded to the post. Some of you simply said, I needed this today. Thank you so much for posting. But others said, if you're crying just reading these, you are not a failure. And I totally hear you. These statements of, if this is happening to you in grief, you are not a failure. These things are really, really powerful. And I have to tell you, until now, grief growers, I suppose I never put the ideas of grief 
and failure into the same sentence together. And it's not that I haven't felt that way, because I certainly have in the depths of my own grief, but I suppose in my own experience, I called it something different, like guilt or remorse or regret. So this series of pictures spoke to so many people, and as I continued to ruminate on the relationship between grief and failure, I came up with three different ways that grief can make us feel like failures. You guys know that I like to work and speak in triads in groups of three. So here goes. Three ways that grief can make us feel like a failure. The first way that grief can make us feel like a failure is that we feel we failed our loved one who has died. This is a huge one, and I think it's what so many people talk about when they talk about feeling guilt or regret or remorse after a loved one dies. These are the things that we wish we could have done or said differently, better or more, different better or more is grief recovery method terminology for you. Things like, I wish I would have visited her more while she was dying. I should have never had that last fight with him. I can't believe I picked a fight with him. Or, I wish I had said I love you one more time. I think feeling like we failed our loved ones who have died also relates to living up to our dead loved ones' expectations of us, especially if they didn't get to see us hit big milestones that they were hoping to see or that we were hoping they would see, things like graduating or getting married or having children. It's like we didn't accomplish these things well enough or fast enough before they died, so we're left with all of these unfulfilled hope streams and expectations that never got accomplished, they never got done, they never got seen or witnessed or checked off the list. Uh, and of course, the feeling that would go along with that is failure because there's no way to accomplish these expectations or milestones anymore, or to say or do things differently, better or more, because we can't. Our loved ones are dead. There's no way to to like turn back the hands of time and like get a do-over and make sure these things get accomplished. So everything from not staying in touch as well as we should have to not planning that big family trip soon enough and going on it is grounds for these I have failed my loved ones feelings. The second way that we can feel like we failed in grief is that we feel like we failed the world. And this is kind of a bigger picture of failure because society has certain expectations of grievers, of grieving people. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that there are stupid things, garbage things like invisible timelines and secret rules and projected norms for people who are dealing with grief. The feeling of failing the world happens when we can't live up to the unspoken or even the spoken expectations that society demands of us when we're grieving. So things like, it's been 10 years and I'm still not over it, or I cry more about my dead dog than I do my dead mother, or I can't possibly imagine learning from this, he is not in a better place, I'm not buying into that belief. All of these statements can bring up feelings of being abnormal or weird or crazy or broken as a griever, and those feelings of feeling abnormal or broken or crazy as a griever can contribute to this overall feeling of failing as a human in the world. We're failing the world because we all want so much all the time to be doing the right thing, to be saying the right thing, to be feeling the right thing, to be grieving the right way. And anything outside of that, especially when society dictates it in this really, really vague way, anything outside of that feels like a failure. And the last way that we feel like a failure in grief is when we feel like we failed ourselves. 
we feel like we fail ourselves in grief when we don't recognize who we are anymore. And this is a topic that I'm hoping to expand upon in my upcoming book, Permission to Grieve. But the short of it is that we feel like we failed ourselves when we don't inhabit our pre-grief identities anymore, when we no longer look like the picture of the person that we were in the before. Whether we were religious and now we're questioning God, or we were usually happy and now we're terribly sad, or we were normally really productive and now we're really not, we feel like we failed ourselves when we're not the same people that we used to be. Grief plops us into this place where our surroundings are foreign, yes, but we are also internally foreign to ourselves too. And we can't trust ourselves to pray or to look on the bright side or to meet deadlines anymore. And there's this massive, massive failure, not to mention a massive fear in that. We feel that we failed ourselves when we failed to be the people that we were prior to our loss. Grief growers, my heart absolutely breaks. I am just torn in two for any of you that are experiencing feelings of failure right now. In my own grief, I remember feeling failure on all three of these levels when my mom died. I failed my mom when I wasn't physically present in the moment she died. I failed her when I wasn't listening to more of her stories or trying to fight with her less or visit her more often after I went away to school. I failed the world when I kept replaying my mom's dead body in my mind and refused to learn anything from my loss. After my loss, my the world wanted me to be a success story, and I just couldn't. And I remember I failed myself, too, when I got horrendously ill and stopped singing. I lost my creative outlet, and I ceased this go-go-go level of productivity like I used to do. I said on the last episode of Coming Back, episode 67, that grief makes us different people. And while failure wasn't the word I would have latched onto back then, there were a lot of other words, I promise, uh, I viewed myself through the lens of, I am not enough. Something is terribly wrong with me. I will never come back with this. I am ruined. This will mark me for life. And that sounds a lot like failure, doesn't it? Grief growers, I don't know that I have a fix for feeling like a failure. I don't have perfect words for you this week. What I will tell you is that in the midst of my grief and feeling like I failed, what helped me was reading and listening to other people's stories of grief. Times when they felt like they failed their loved ones or the world or themselves, and seeing them continue to live on and not just overcome the feeling of failure, but incorporate it into their lives to come to a place of, yeah, I feel like failure exists, but these other things coexist with it as well. Those things gave me hope uh, that I wouldn't be stuck in this place of never-ending circling failure forever. So I guess my one piece of advice for you this week is to keep listening to the stories on this podcast. Maybe check out the five books on grief that I shared in episode 66, or share your own story with us in the Grief Growers Garden on Facebook. I think that failure thrives in solitude. But I'll tell you this, nobody is ever the only one who feels like they're failing. There's always someone else in the world who feels like they're failing too. This week, I want to echo Caleb Wilde's sentiment that you are not a failure. If I'm not a failure, you're not either, 
grief growers. No matter who or what you think you are failing, you are not a failure. If you'd like to check out Caleb Wilde's You Are Not a Failure series, you can join the Grief Growers Garden on Facebook. I want to know what you think, or if you have statements of your own about failure that you'd like to contribute to the conversation. All you have to do to join the group is search the Grief Growers Garden in the group section on Facebook. Next up, my conversation with Melissa Lyons, whose book I Will Always Love You is inspiring grievers to embrace joy. But first, a quick break. Grief growers, I want to tell you something that might surprise you. I only have one pair of eyes. That's right. The eyeballs that are currently inside my skull, wearing contacts in the daytime and glasses at night, are the only set of eyes I've got. Do you want to hear something crazy, though? The thing that helped me most in the midst of my grief was having another set of eyes. I don't mean I traded eyes with somebody or bought a set off the black market. I mean that I had another human being's eyes and ears and heart on my grief and my story. I had a witness, a friend, and a guide. Grief growers, for the very first time, I'm opening up a limited number of slots for private grief coaching with me. This means regular one-on-one time where I act as your other set of eyes. A witness to your lost story, yes, but also a guide that helps you dump everything in your brain out onto the figurative dining room table and sift through it once a week, piece by piece. Grief is not meant to be carried alone, and I would be honored to be your companion, your toolbox, and your shoulder. For more information and to fill out a client application for grief coaching with me, head to shelbyforsythia.com slash grief dash coaching. That's shelbyforsythia.com slash grief dash coaching. You can also find a link to my grief coaching in the show notes. Melissa Lyons is an award-winning author, speaker, and a seasoned entrepreneur. She's passionate about helping people connect with and embrace fresh perspectives when faced with loss or tragedy. Her debut book, I Will Always Love You, a journey from grief and loss to hope and love, has helped thousands of people move forward with their lives. Her second book, Until We Meet Again, From Grief to Hope After Losing a Pet, is a heartwarming story of loss, unconditional love, and hope. Melissa also offers workshops and speaks on the power of pressing pause in your life. Melissa, I am so excited to have you on coming back today to share your story and your book both with us. If you could please share with us your lost story. Well, it's interesting because uh, when when I wrote the book, I hadn't, um, I wasn't aware of a lost story that I was facing. So it was more than 16 months until I understood what the words meant to me. Um, but once once the story came into my, my hands and into my life, I knew that it had a place in the world. It was so powerful. And that became my journey. Um, as it totally changed my life around. And I became an author. And I, I, I my career changed. And I've been working with it ever since. It sounds like your book is something that came to you kind of like, uh, a vision. Can you describe that moment? Yeah, it's, it wasn't even like a vision, um, it, it, per se. I, I took, I sold a business, um, 
after having it for 11 years and I took off three months and thought that I would figure out what it was that was missing. Like I, I lived my life with a bit of a black hole inside me. On the outside, everything seemed quite perfect and I really have nothing to, nothing, nothing was missing except for I felt empty professionally. And those three months quickly turned into 30 months of this journey of trying to dig inside of me to find out just what wasn't right. And it culminated, um, I, I, I say 30 months because I was sitting on a beach one day journaling just randomly, um, writing words like beach, tree, boat, sun, tea, you know, water, any words that would come. And I just sort of lost track of the words. And then when I look back a couple hours later, I saw this story. It was literally on a page um, in my book, word for word, without errors, rhyming perfectly, staring back at me. And it blew me away. In that moment, I've had moments kind of like these in my own life. Were you like totally freaked or... um or excited or what did you make of all these words on a page? Well, I was interested in it and I thought, what, what is this about? And, you know, I reread them a couple of times and thought, okay, this is really something. I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it came and I didn't really know what it meant. And I was, the reason why I was sitting journaling, I was waiting for my husband who was in the water and he came out and he said to me, what happened? And you look like something happened. And I said to him, I think I just wrote a book. And he sort of went, oh, here we go again, kind of, because he knew I was on this journey. He's like, oh, what now? And I said, can I read it to you? It's not long. And I was, it was just like this. We're just talking. And I went to talk, and words wouldn't come out. And when the words did come out, I was sobbing uncontrollably. I was sweating profusely. I had this this physical response to the words. And I really wasn't able to, to read them without having a response like that for many, many months. And even now, sometimes uh, when I read them, sometimes I get through it and sometimes I don't. It just depends. But I, I don't understand why they, they overtake me in a physical sense so deeply. I have a hunch just knowing your story a little bit uh, and being exposed to the book for the short amount of time that I have, that it sounds like you're channeling some kind of universal story or universal truth. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, you'd gave me an offer before we hit the record button today to share this book, this story with our listeners today. And I think I would really love if we could do that right now in this moment. I would love to. And it's funny that you talked about the, the channeling. I think that I do think that there's something like that going on because my second book is, is very different, but it's very much the same. And it's for when you lose a pet. So they both deal with this and they're not about grief. They're about hope and love. But they deal with that feeling that you have and, and messages you need to receive from those who are no longer with us. Mm, and I think that's true for both the human and the animal kingdom, too. That comes up a lot on the show, actually. Yeah, well, they're so it's it's yeah, it's just about the connections that we have. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We create relationships with a lot of things. So shall I start? Would you like me to read it? Yes. Yeah, let's open up that space. Okay. So the book is called I Will Always Love You. And in the first part of the cover, it's, it starts out by saying, See me in your dreams and in your mind's eye. Imagine me free and able to fly. And this book, before I start, um, it's for everyone big or small. It's for the child who lives within us all. 
These words were sent to comfort you. Take time to read them. You'll know what to do. And we'll begin. If you're reading this now and I'm far away, please pay attention. I've got something to say. It was my time to go and I can't explain why, but there was a reason. It was my turn to fly. Now I can see you from my new place of rest and you must understand you are still truly blessed. Realize that by letting me go, you'll give us both freedom more than you know. Believe in angels and spirits or not, but consider this, I hear all of your thoughts. Your life lies ahead and it's all very great. I'm privileged now to see all of your fate. I have one last wish and it's part of a theme. It's you choosing to choose to follow your dream. My gifts to you include memories and love, and now you'll have more with my guidance above. I'll send you hints so you know I'm around. Pay closer attention to each sight and each sound. You might see a butterfly or other clues that I leave. It could be a rainbow. You just have to believe. Focus on love and trust in good things. Listen to your intuition and see what life brings. Open your mind and change as you need. Embrace new directions. See where they lead. Welcome your challenges as they appear. Accept them as lessons. There's nothing to fear. They come with messages and purposes too. It's all part of your learning. They're gifts for you. See them with gratitude and understand their role. Then get back to focusing the thoughts you control. Trust your heart as you follow your dreams. It has been directed by the highest of teams. You hold the power and the answers inside. Turn into your heart. Let it be your guide. You create your world with each thought that you think. Your beliefs build your future as fast as you blink. The mind is a garden that grows flowers and weeds. One who chooses good thoughts always succeeds. Trust me, I know advice is easy to give, but divine wisdom shows this is how you should live. Be the one who shares the light that was mine. Honor me now by letting yours shine. Trust that I'm free and home at last. Cherish each moment life goes by so fast. And remember, I will always love you. I'm just pausing to have a moment. <laughs> I wanted to ask you to close your eyes when I read it, but I'm sure you did. So I did. And I hope that, I mean, granted, if our listeners were not driving, I hope they did. As well. <laughs> True. And that's just, there's so many things um, coming to me right now. The first one is I haven't absorbed a story and rhyme since I was a very, very little kid, like back in the good night moon days. And 
I think there's something so powerful about reverting back to that space of, of having this universal wisdom delivered, but then having it delivered in rhyme and in small words and in like just these universal truths are not for like lofty people who sit around and philosophize all day. They are for all of us. And there's something so profound, I think, about literature that's meant for all ages. I'm, I'm just acknowledging that in this moment. I'm like, holy crap, like you could have read this to me when I was five, but you can read this to me now at 26 and get, you know, almost exactly the same effect or in an even greater one because I am transported back to this space of being read to. And thank you for reading to us. That's a whole other luxury that we don't often get as adults is being read to. That goes away when you become an adult. Uh, and and I think that's just so powerful. There's something really powerful and like ancient old storytelling, but not dusty. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying all of these things all at once? Um, but something definitely comes through in a story that's for everyone with this higher level of wisdom. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, in the beginning of this journey for, for me, um, I had a hard time accepting the credit for it. And even to this day, like I accept the credit for, for seeing these words and changing my life and, and making sure that I got them out to the world. But in terms of the wisdom and the power that they bring, I, it came through me, not from me. And I'm aware of that and I'm so grateful for it. But I think that they're powerful because they came from somewhere that, and, and, they, and they're meant to be heard. I wonder in your transition between your former job and uh, publishing books, like I will always love you in this way. And your one about pet loss as well. Um, did anything have to change or move inside you to make space for this fact? Like I might be a channel for these messages instead of always being the one who's in control of where your life is going. <laughs> Yeah, a lot had to change. I I, I think um, well, even even the, the the months preceding the the creation or the, or the book coming to me, that was that was a whole lot of work uh, from the inside out. You know, finding time to to meditate, to journal, to 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 see love and beauty and everything. You know, it was a long process for me as a person. I feel like, like I said, I, I felt like I live with a dark hole. And now I, now I live with this, this light that just comes from, I don't know where and well, I do, but I didn't. And it's just like the most amazing transition. Can we talk about the dark hole? What is that to you or what does that represent? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm still working on that. Um, it was a, I, I think, yeah, you know what, we can talk about it, but I, I don't know that I can actually, I haven't defined it yet. All I know that is that it, um, the light has, has, has shone in a way that maybe it was there so that I could appreciate this part of my life. Like maybe, maybe if we all have an average of, of a certain number of, of happiness or sadness in our life and, and sometimes some of us get it all mixed up and some of us get it all at once and, and in the end, we, it, it balances out to a net number. I'm not sure. I think that if, if we're doing this in our life and we're not connected to a purpose that's making us feel like 
we're, we're doing what we're meant to do, like we don't feel completely alive or we have that gnawing feeling, it means that we're not connected to what we're supposed to do. So we have to find the courage or the strength um, to change, to find out what it is, to explore it. And so I think for me, that dark hole might have represented the fact that I was, wasn't going down the right path and then I wasn't going down the right path. And I didn't go down a path that was not right. But professionally, I think that I did have this to offer and this was supposed to come through me and, and it took a long time to, to come. And maybe that was the dark hole as, 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 um, as a notice saying, we're trying to get you, we're trying to get you, you're not listening. I, I, maybe that's what it is. I know on this podcast, we talk a lot about intuition and its role in grief. Oftentimes, you know, a couple of days before a loved one dies, someone will have a vision of a yellow butterfly, which is a symbol of transition, or um, people will feel their loved ones around them, even though they have died already. And in reading your story, even just on your website, um, it sounds like this book is a big piece of intuition. And I think it takes such courage, especially as grieving people who a lot of the world already thinks we're crazy, uh, <laughs> to come into the world and be like, okay, this is another thing that I'm feeling and you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't like wrap your brain around it really, but you know it's true for you. I'm curious to know what was the driving force that that took this book from okay, it happened on a beach and it went onto paper and oh my gosh, it rhymed. How cool is that? But taking that and transforming it into a physical object that is now available worldwide is a whole other level of, I'll use the word manifestation because it's literally producing things and putting them into reality, but it's literally a physical creation process and almost like a dedication, like a pact that you're coming into with intuition when you agreed to be like, okay, yes, I suppose there is a universal message here. I guess, how did you take those steps from being the sole holder of this message to, I need to make this a book that's available everywhere? Yeah, I, it was like, I think what, you, what you're saying is you've, you've almost summed it up. I, I saw those words. It's almost like if someone dropped a baby or a puppy off at your door and you didn't really want either of them, but, but, you, but you're the but you got them. And so you've got to make sure that they get where they need to go. And that's how these words were just to see them rhyming the way they rhymed and, and to not be able to speak them out loud. The force was so strong and so powerful um, that I, that I just knew that I had to change everything in my life to like, it was like, it was like, Oh, that's what I'm here for. And even though it took me a long time to, to get that wrapped around, and then it was like, why me that you go through that process? Like, how, how did I get picked for this? I'm, I'm not special enough. I haven't experienced this. Why me? And then it's like the realization, because I'm not afraid, um, I'm not afraid to put myself out there. Well, I was afraid of the vulnerability, but people not liking the words, but I wasn't afraid, afraid of the business aspect of it. And I'm really entrepreneurial and I love change and I love a challenge. It's like, oh, that's why it's me. And I know it's more than just that, but I think that's why I got, I got this role, you know, this universal job, so to speak. Yeah. I'm nodding my head in agreement. I know you can't see it on the side of the, <laughs> on the side of the world. Well, 
I'm thinking you got the same you got the same job offer. <laughs> you were a lot younger and you listened you listened sooner. But you sort of got a job offer too that you picked up pretty quickly. Isn't that funny? I think um I yeah, it's funny how intuition works. Sometimes it's like I have a job for you and you're like, "Who me?" <laughs> Um, and there's this, uh, there's a questioning of like, am I qualified enough? But there's also a questioning of, am I brave enough to let this exist in the world and be attached to my name and not really have any, like, there's not really a good reason or like a good foundation for it necessarily, other than I feel like I should, I have been charged with this mission and now I must fulfill it. And it's, um, I think this is what people mean when they say, I have a calling, I have a vocation, I have something that I get chills right now, which my podcast listeners know is is a sign that some kind of up-leveling or like a universal truth is happening. But um, I think we get calls, we get knocks on our hearts that ask us to be things without explanation, without reason, without the, without the head involved. We get these heart callings or these heart pullings to do things. And whether it's picking up a creative pursuit after you've lost a loved one or starting a business or sending a message to somebody that hasn't heard from you in 12 years or, or just anything of that nature. We get these little knocks and whether or not we decide to greet them is a choice that's up to us. But once we have been charged with these quote unquote missions, it's, it's really hard to say no. It's really hard to turn that down and be like, no, that's not speaking to me. It's hard to talk yourself out of it. Um, so I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you and that, because that is what laid the foundation for this podcast itself. Um, I'm getting a quick, uh, like a, like almost a snapping motion over here. Cause I want to pivot in a totally different direction, but I want to ask you, do you think your book and, or, uh, the work that you do, these messages that you've received are preparing you will prepare you give you some kind of bolstering or strength for future losses that you're going to face in your world. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I I've had the conversation with myself many times, um, you know, is this a, is this a, a precursor to, to a significant loss I'm going to face and is it preparing me for? It? And that was a really hard thing to grapple um, and to get through. I've got two, two young adult um, daughters and I thought, Oh my goodness. Like, is it like, you know, I, I went through all of that, but now that I've been through everything I've been through and, and, and know where these words have come from, I, I have this, I, I know that someone who's moved on gave these words to me, through me to, or to, to share with people so they would be comforted. So I have to believe them. And I do believe them. I believe that this wisdom comes from people who say, like, shine, I'm not there to shine my light anymore. So please don't be sad. Like, like, you know, I, the thoughts that come to me is like, who said we're supposed to be sad when someone leaves? Because maybe we're supposed to live for them. And actually, we owe it to them to be happy because because we want to, we want them to know that, that we, we honor them enough to, to live a happy life. And so I think it's um it's asking people to change their perspective, to, to shift how they're viewing it. So. I'm doing that myself in everything I do. What has been some of the feedback that you've received on, I will always love from people who are craving humans, craving pets. I mean, anything across the spectrum. Well, that has been the most um, rewarding part of my life. Other than the miracle of um, having my two children and, and giving birth, um, 
this book and, and the, the things that people have shared with me about how it's impacted their lives have been the most um, rewarding and comforting things. Um, young girl, uh, one young girl who lost her mom um, to cancer was given the book. And when everyone left the funeral home one night, she she went up to the casket and she sat and read her mom the story. Um, the thought about having being part of that moment warms my heart, fills me with joy when when it's a sad time. Um other things like just yeah just the, the heartwarming stories about how it's changed people's perspective and how they, they they say to me straight out like I I was so sad because I thought I was supposed to be sad and now I realize that I'm supposed to be living for them and then I think wow we're getting somewhere here you do need to be sad and you do need to move let it move through you but you 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 can also let that go it's like, you know what it is? It's like it's permission, permission to live with joy once you've, once you've gone through what you need to go through. Yeah, I'm um, cheering and uh, raising my hands and all kinds of stuff over here because <laughs> so much of the work that I do is surrounding permission to let grief be the experience that it is, whether it is an experience of sadness or nostalgia or for me it's always rage it comes through an extreme anger but for a lot of people it also comes through in joy and I almost think like this is going to be kind of hilarious to say coming out of my mouth but like joy gets marginalized in grief and does not get acknowledged as a true expression of honoring someone you've lost and I think I, I want to ask you to say more on that because I think it's such a powerful message to, I'm not going to quote it directly from your book because I can't quite recall how it was phrased, but I think of that biblical passage like this do in honor of me and uh, continuing to live your life in a way that honors the people who have gone before you is powerful, but also to experience joy parallel to that is also really powerful because there's there's losing someone and feeling sadness, but there's also losing someone and feeling joy. And I think both of those, you hold one in one hand and you hold one in the other hand and you never fully, I don't think you ever fully release either one. You always live with the joy and some kind of sadness, but to, to once in a while, let joy win, to let uh, joy be the dominant emotion to let joy be the honoring emotion of a memory or a person or an event is just, it's, there's so much power there. There's so much energy there of let me let this be the expression of how much I love you still. Actually, that's so well said because I think there's an invitation here and I'm going to, I'm going to use this example and I'll use it carefully, but, you know, sometimes we're Canadian because we're born in Canada or we're Americans, we're born Americans and, and we're the religion, mostly we're the religion that our parents were. And we fall into default in this world many times by the traditions that that, group, that shape who we are. And so if we're from a culture that that's very sad or angry or or grieves for an extensive period of time, we tend to keep doing it, but it doesn't always mean that that's the right thing to do. So the invitation here is to, yeah, feel all those emotions, go through it. Um, but the, the line that 
that I, that I, I found when I, again, I read this book like everyone else, you know, and, and tried to understand it. And, um, the, the line realize that by letting me go, you'll give us both freedom more than, you know, like what if when we hold on to those feelings and emotions of grief and we're doing it for ourselves, cause that's how we're getting through our life. What if we're holding them back? What if they could be actually moving on and, 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 doing whatever they're doing now more freely if, if we were living in joy. Like what if they've got one foot in and one foot out because we're not okay, but if we decided that we're going to be okay and we're going to really let them go, maybe they'll be better off too. And if we don't know any better, why not think that way? Because everybody will be better off in the end. And I know that really simplifies it, but what if it's true? We don't know that it's not true. Maybe we're holding them back. What does it look like? to let someone go with joy if you had to describe that what does that look like i don't i don't know that i could describe letting someone go with joy but what i could describe is saying i wish i had you longer i wish i still had you today it's not fair that you're gone but thank goodness i had you for the time i had you i can't change anything else and the only thing that i know now is that you're not here and i am so i have two choices to let you go be whatever you're going to be now freely knowing that I'm going to live like you would want me to, because of course, of course we want people to live their life because, because live their lives. Cause like if I, if anything would ever happen to me, God forbid, and my kids are here, I would only want them to do things that make them happy for the rest of their lives. And I, I wonder how free I could be if they stayed sad forever or, or held on to such a part of me. And, and so I, so without having any concrete answers, my answer to you would be, if I was gone, I'd want to be let free. And I'd want the people I've left behind to be free too, knowing that we're all watching each other on some level, be happy or trusting that we're all being happy because without having anything else to believe that's not true about that, then believe it's true and everybody will be better for it. That's so wise. And it's something I really wanted to touch on because there's so much conversation, especially in the grief sphere of let it go, move on, release, release, release. And there's this perception that when you do that, the person that you love is gone forever and you will never be able to communicate them. We'll never be able to see them. You will never be able to get into any sort of contact with them. And I think what's tricky about the verbiage of let go is that that is permanent as in it cuts off communication, it cuts off a relationship. And what's so critical, I think, about the concept of letting go, and these are not words I use frequently because they're so misconstrued in the world of grief, is that letting go is about surrendering to the truth of what happened. Like my mom is gone. She's no longer on the planet. I, Like they've said, I am alive and she is no longer and I have a choice whether or not to live in this place of joy, power, choice, freedom, or I can live in this place of, you know, wallowing, stagnation, um, rumination, all these things. Like you, you very much. I, I. This is one of the major reasons that I started coming back is because I believe we have a choice in how we proceed in life after loss. Um, I think it's so important for us to remember that letting go is not a 
permanent goodbye. It's a releasing of this this desperate clinging, like aching. I I cannot leave this rock because if I leave this rock, it's gonna go away forever, and I'm never gonna see it again, and it's not gonna be on the planet anymore. But the but like this rock, this cornerstone of this thing that's happened in your life, it's still there. It always exists. It's always going to exist in your life. But whether or not you choose to keep hugging onto it for dear life or mourning the fact that it is no longer moving along the path with you, that is where your decision to quote unquote let go, I think, comes in. Yeah. And it's not let go of the memory. It's, it's, it's let go of the pain, um, to be really clear. And, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that about the verbiage, because what if when you let go of the pain, you're now open up to pay attention to each sight and each sound. I'll send you hints so you know I'm around. Like all of a sudden, when you let go of that darkness and you let lightness come in, maybe that thing that you think you're losing actually becomes much more of a force in your life. And I wonder about your intuition, um, I wonder if as you started to heal, your intuition heightened, if if possibly your mom's part of that. I mean, I, they probably talk to us and communicate with us more when we're open than when we're closed. Well, we know that's true. So holding on to pain versus holding on to memories and holding on to memories of joy or memories of, of, of anger. Again, I just think it opens you up to that much more communication, not communication, sorry, connection to that person who's lost. I don't think you have less of a connection. I think you heighten it by, by adding a little bit more of lightness to the, to the moments. I'm getting this image of um, like loosening the rope or uh, widening a lens. It's like, what if I looked at something that was slightly larger or what if I stepped back and looked at an inclusive picture of joy within the loss or happiness within the pain or all of these things. Cause we know any of us who are grieving know that grief is this, I refer to it as a divine dichotomy of absolute searing, blinding joy in one hand and totally crippling, uh, just grief in the other hand. And I think you have, in some ways, when you're grieving, you have a decision to make about which you would like to look at, the ways in which you choose to honor a person. And I believe that the people who have loved us in life, whether they're parents, spouses, siblings, children, pets, co-workers, friends, anyone that we've lost, wants us to continue living not only through their spirit and a spirit of joy, but through our own. We have a we have our own intuitive mission. Going back to the very beginning of this conversation, we have an intuitive mission to carry on their mission through living our own mission. Does that make sense? Well, it does, and I think it's I think it's the golden key. Mm. Like, we we don't like we we you don't just honor someone by letting them go. You honor that person by living um, and doing, doing good things because, because if you're not doing good things, you just like, what was the point? And we, and you get to that point, like, what was the point? What's the point of all this? You know, you go down that path and it's like, so we don't have a black and white answer. So choose something that, that could make it better for someone else. 
and then that will make it better for you. And then, and you know, it becomes that, that domino effect that, yeah, once you get through those really, really, really hardcore things that you had to get through, now you have this opportunity, this really golden opportunity to impact people's lives around you. And also possibly like, you know, that line I said at the beginning of the book, see me in your dreams and in your mind's eye, imagine me free and able to fly. Like, so what if you, the weight loosens on that person so they actually can fly? They're not leaving you. They just want to fly. It, it's just a, it's a change in perspective. And, and again, without, without the real answers, we, we should pick something that's better. Why wouldn't we? I think it's so difficult in grief because oftentimes um, our, what is offered to us on the buffet seems so crappy. It's hard for us to remember that there are other choices to be made. Like if we, if we just turned a little bit to our left or a little bit to our right, we would see that there is something different to choose than despair or rumination or hostility or isolation. Isolation is so huge. That's like an entree on the buffet is isolation in grief. And I think through your book, the message that I'm receiving is that if if our loved ones could leave anything behind, it's it's the message that there is always more to choose and there's always more joy to choose. Then we can reasonably see within even the first weeks, months of our losses. There's almost something, uh, I believe Cheryl Sandberg writes about this and I may be wrong, but she says there's almost an illusion of having blinders on when we're grieving of this is always how I will feel. It will exist this way forever. This is something that's only happening to me. Uh, And there's these mantras that we repeat over and over to ourselves when we're grieving. And if I think the perspective I'm getting from hearing about your book and even hearing your story in person today is that it's offering this pinprick of light. It's like there is this message and you have a choice of whether or not you take hold of it and internalize it or not. And you can hear the story 30, 40 times. You do not have to hold mm-hmm. on to it the first time. Um, because it's 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 a lot to hear that message of I want to fly, I want to be free, I want joy for you and things like that. And in the midst of your grief, you're like, but why? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, but to to hear that over time and to know our loved ones in life and then to internalize that message of, oh, this is what they would have wanted for me is super powerful. That can inform a crap ton of our decision-making going forward. That's the hope. And for me, the value in stating that I'm not like one of my things that that I stumbled with in the beginning, you asked like, how did I move forward? People wanted me to talk about grief and, and, and it was like, what do you, what can you come and talk to us about? And I don't know anything about grief. I really don't. And so it's like, so what am I doing in this operating in this world that I don't have any, any, um, any gifts to bring. But then I realized, Oh yeah, I'm not talking about grief. I'm talking about changing your perspectives to hope and love and joy when faced with a derailing moment in your life. And so that's where I think my power comes from. And that's why I actually decided to take it and really run with it. Once I understood it is because I realized I'm not here to talk about grief and I'm not an expert in that subject matter, but I am in the others. 
So I always ask guests on coming back if they could give listeners one resource that would help them come back in their own words, whether it's a message or a book or a practice, what would you tell the people who are listening to this show who are grieving, who you know are looking for ways to come back from grief in their worlds? So my message would be, you asked me um, a few minutes ago um, to describe my dark days or the dark holes. And I I went through a period of my time where I I really hit rock bottom and I was very ill and I I had like those blinders on that you talked about. Um, I I was like completely non-functioning. And I had someone finally at the end of two weeks say to me, what do you think your children see when they look at you right now? And that was so hard and so powerful to hear because I realized they were looking to me and I couldn't help myself get out of this hole that I was in. And it was like, like it could have been life altering if I didn't change where I was. So my message here is that when we're in, when we're in that and you think about you've lost someone you love, but there are people who love you and maybe you have dependents If something happened to you and you're looking down on them, what would you want them to do? How would you want them to grieve you? How would you want them to live their lives? And if you would want more for them than you're giving yourself or you're allowing yourself, then there's your window of opportunity to say, hey, this isn't right. I wouldn't want someone to do what I'm doing. So why am I doing it? And what do I need to do to see a way out of this mess? or this darkness, or this dead end. I absolutely love that. This is such a different reframing of... All the times I've heard this in the past, it has been, you know, I can't let myself feel this way because they wouldn't want me to feel this way. So there's been a blocking. There's been a lack of permission given. But with your perspective. And through this book, there's almost, it's like turning it on its head, giving it a 180 of asking yourself, if I died, if I died today, what is my deepest, truest wish for my family, for my friends, for my coworkers, for every stranger that's ever known me on the street? What is my deepest wish for them to live in the aftermath of my loss? And then to live that in honor of the people who have gone before me. That's a total reframing of, well, my dad wouldn't want me to be sad, so I'm not going to be sad. And that's a total denial of emotion. Like this is just such a large, it's a small but large reframing. It's like, it's the littlest shift in perspective. I literally feel like I moved over one degree and now I can see this, I can see this wish, I can see this, I can see the story, like this narrative in such a different lens than I've viewed it in the past. This seems to be a season for this on coming back. I'm seeing religion differently uh, as a result of another interview. And in this one, I'm seeing our loved ones wishes for us in a different lens because of this conversation with you. And this is, this is awesome. Like this is powerful work, I think, because in 
in, on one hand, we could put this immense amount of pressure on ourselves to be who our loved ones would want us to be after their deaths. But then in another lens, we could think about what would happen if I died? What would, how would I want everyone else to live and then live in that way? And somehow that has more integrity to our spirit than the first one. There's less pressure. There's more of a releasing. The ropes are coming off. You're, you're letting them fly. You're letting yourself fly. There is a freedom in, in asking yourself, how would they want me to live? But also, how would I want them to live? Well, if there's a there's an element of authenticity to it, and you know, if you took it on pen to paper and you actually wrote down literally, this is what I want you to do. Like, imagine I'm not here tomorrow. This is how I want you to feel. This is how I want you to do, and actually go through that for the per, the two, one or two or three people who matter most in your life. Give them what you want from them, and then yeah, you're right. Turn it around on yourself, and um, it's powerful because. It will come from your authentic self about what you want for them. And then that's what you need for yourself. I think this is just such a cool message. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and reading the full story and just sharing this message today, because this is not something that's like, this is not common knowledge in the grief sphere. Uh, So I want to let people know, Melissa, where can they find First of all, you, but then secondary, where can they find your book online as well? If they want it for themselves or their, for their kids, or if they'd like to give it as a gift in the near future as well. Well, thank you for talking to me. I want you to know I got chills many times today in our conversation. I've, I love it. Um, I love talking about this because I feel like there's room to make people feel better. Um, my website is melissa-lions.com. So M-E-L-I-S-S-A hyphen l-y-o-n-s dot com and the books are available on amazon.com and ca and um on kindle worldwide as well i they'll be available in stores within the next year because i have a u.s distributor and a canadian distributor now in the last three or four months have they both been picked up so that's really exciting oh that is terribly exciting to have books be available as like tangible pieces of a paper, press paper that you can have in your lap and in your hands and on your bookshelf. Um, I am so excited. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on, coming back today and sharing this. I really feel like we've both been channeling in this conversation. There's just been a higher level of wisdom and exchange that's going on. And that on coming back is just super, super cool. That It's exciting. And I may I should leave one last thought with you. Do we have time? Absolutely. Okay. So in the, in my other book, which is called until we meet again, from grief to hope after losing a pet. I have one page that's my favorite and it fits with what we're talking about. So this, the first book is from the perspective of someone who you've lost. So for example, in your case, your mom would be talking to you. And it's a beautiful thing to think of those words. In the, in the second book, it's an animal that you've lost that's talking to you. And on one page it says, allow your mind time to unwind and be free. Be as kind to yourself as you were to me. And I think more than anything when we're talking about this is we need to be kind to ourselves as we're going through every process, everything that derails us. Because if you're not kind to yourself, you're not going to pull it from everyone else either. And you need to be kind to yourself. And so much of that, uh, like you said, is seeing ourselves reflected back through the eyes of our loved ones. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of layers. That's very 
meta to think about ourselves, how we would be seen through the eyes of other people who are looking at us. That's a, lot, oh, <laughs> that's a lot to process. But at the same time, it's like, how do all the people in your life who love you, how do they look at you? Yeah. And what do they want for you? You're surrounded all the time by people who really, really want incredibly joyful and wonderful things for you. That's just been such a powerful message that's shown through this whole conversation today. And that is so, so cool. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much to Melissa Lyons for coming on this week to read us her new book, I Will Always Love You, and to talk about feeling freedom and joy in the aftermath of loss. Melissa came back by asking herself how she would want her friends and family to live if she died, and then following those wishes for herself. You can find a link to Melissa's website where you can find all of her books in the show notes. For grief support beyond this podcast, go to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia, where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and receive instant access to a monthly grief support hangout with me. This month's hangout is Monday, January 28th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. You can also apply for private grief coaching with me at shelbyforsythia.com slash grief dash coaching. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me, shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. We are growing.